Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. We talk a lot about the concept of deep work here at Asian Efficiency, which is all about maximizing your intensity of focus so that you can produce excellent work and be more productive. But that assumes that you have time to focus on your important projects, which for a lot of people is a luxury they don't have especially those who work in a corporate environment where they have to deal with pop-ins from bosses and coworkers. In this episode, I'm joined by Curtis McHale, creator of the new Focus Time video course in the dojo, our online productivity community. And we talk about how you can create the time to focus on your important projects. We talk about the tools you can use to facilitate focus when it's time to sit down and do deep work, how you can set up your workspace to facilitate focused work more easily, and how to deal with the expectations of others and carve out focus time for yourself, even if you work in a corporate environment where you don't have complete control over how you spend your time. And if you want to dive even deeper on this topic, check out the video course Curtis put together inside the dojo. As a podcast listener, you can get access to everything the dojo has to offer for just $1 for your first month by going to theproductivityshow.com dojo. That URL again is theproductivityshow.com dojo. You can also find links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 209. And now, on with the show. Curtis McHale, welcome back to The Productivity Show. Thank you, Mr. Schmitz. <laughs> so for people who aren't familiar with you, you have been on here in TPS 177. We talked about analog productivity and in TPS 201, we talked about time blocking. Today, we're going to be talking about focus time. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, you want to give just a brief introduction, who you are, what you do for people who haven't listened to those previous episodes? Mm-hmm. So I am Curtis McHale. I live in Canada, sort of down the road from Brooks, but in, you know, 60 miles away anyways. Uh, and I do two things. I help uh, people, I guess, build a good membership site. And then I mostly now coach people, help them run run a good business without destroying their family life at the same time. Nice. And I know we were chatting before we hit record and you're coming out with a book on the art of focus. So if you have a link, we'll definitely put that in the, the show notes. I don't uh, have a link yet. Well, I have a link to the email list. Yes. <laughs> there we go. But so people can, can be notified when that goes live. Uh, but mm-hmm. you've also put together a video course for the dojo on this topic of focus time, which is a little bit different than deep work, which is something that we talk about a lot here. Uh, why don't you start us off by talking about the, the difference between focus time and deep work? So if people are familiar with deep work. Why should they listen to this episode or why should they care about the concept of, of focus time? Yeah. So in the deep work is really about maximizing the intensity of focus, which is part of your focus time. Um, but this is going to, this course today, we're going to help you, uh, get more focus with your day. Just get more, expand the time that you can focus within your day is the biggest difference between the two. Yeah. So the way I kind of think about this in in my own head is, you know, the formula for deep work we've shared in the, the deep work course inside of the, the dojo, you know, time spent times intensity of focus. So deep work is all about maximizing your intensity of focus, but you still need that time in order to apply your focus. So that's what this is, this is about. And, uh, you've got a a couple of of links here, resources that, you know, you go into deeper 
detail inside of the course, obviously. But uh, one of the key concepts here, I think, is this maker schedule versus manager schedule. You want to talk to us about this? Yeah, yeah. And that's Paul Graham's fairly famous essay. At least I've heard it mentioned a few times on the show and, and in other productivity circles. Uh, and the basics of it are we have um, there's makers and managers. And a maker would be, say, a developer, creative, anybody that just needs that time to focus without distractions because a distraction, you know, throws the problem right out of their head. And a manager generally is an hours and hours and hours. So it's a call or a, you know, a meeting, anything else can be in that hour. And the cost of an interruption really isn't that high because they just roll on to the next task. And really for everyone, we have to have things like we have tasks in both sides, right? This morning, I spent a bunch of time editing the book that will be coming out soon. And then I had a little bit of time about half an hour before I needed to go watch my children at the splash parks. So my wife could do some work and I did a manager task. Then I did a bunch of email and some other stuff where, you know, doing one email and having interruptions was not a big deal. I talked to my friend who happened to be sitting beside me working at the same time. We had silently ignored each other before. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a very important point that you made uh, that you made earlier that you kind of flip back and forth between these. I think that um, that probably pertains a lot to the people who listen to this show in in particular. Um, and, and really, it may be convenient to think of yourself as one of those, but really where you can really boost your, your productivity and, and become more efficient, more effective is when you recognize that you're switching back and forth between these and you're looking for those times when it's appropriate to be in one mode versus appropriate being in, in the other mode. Like you mentioned, sometimes the distractions, if you're in a particular mode, don't really make that big a difference. However, if you're being distracted and you're in a mode where it does make a difference, that can add up pretty quick. Yeah, I think we often and jobs often default to kind of manager time. That's what they expect everything to be without really discerning the costs, which we get into later in the video course or in the podcast. Right. So we've got a link here to a research study that you found. And and like you said, we talk about this in greater detail in the the video course. But uh, you want to talk to us about the real cost of these distractions, kind of put a number on this for people who maybe think, oh, this isn't that big a deal. Yeah. So BASX research, which took me forever to get right, (laughs) I have to say properly, they say it was like $588 billion of uh, lost productivity in the US alone on just based on interruptions, which I can entirely believe um, for sure. Even last week, we are helping out a refugee family and doing some daycare. And so with the extra couple kids, along with my kids, there was five, six kids running around at times. And the cost of interruption and distraction was pretty huge for my week last week, unfortunately. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and so the the cost of the these dis- distractions, like why are these so, so costly? Uh, if you were to kind of break this down for the the average person who's like, well, yeah, I get I get interrupted all the time, but does it really make that big a difference? Yeah, I always think there's a and there's a programmer's cartoon that I always think of as well, uh, and we can get the link to this if we don't uh, if you don't have it, but where the programmer thinks you know bigger and bigger, and eventually his whole thoughts come to encompass like the entire universe, and you know, sun spinning on the axis and everything else, kind of like the picture in. Um, at the end of the first Men in Black movie where, you know, they're playing marbles with the universe and then someone says, hey, you want a coffee or something like that? And it's just poof, it's all gone. Right. But it's taken, you know, 45 minutes to get to that point. And then they spend 45 minutes again getting back to that point. Uh, and that was related to programming specifically because it's a programming blog or programming cartoon. But still, I think that's for like anything, any anything creative, anything that needs deep thinking, any like even managers when they're, you know, stepping back to really look at how the organization runs. It's the same idea. You just step back and really think about it and that takes brain power and interruptions kill that brain power. They just kill, kill your train of thought working on the one thing. 
Right. So really, when we're talking about focus time, we're talking about eliminating those distractions and putting up whatever appropriate barriers we can to uh, protect us from those interruptions that are going to keep us from from doing what we're really good at, what makes us uh, effective. You know, we've shared research before in the uh, the email course about how when you're in the zone and you hear that that ding, you know, you, you you multitask, you switch from one thing to another, just, just quick to check it, you know, and see, see what's there. It takes 40 minutes to get yeah. back in the zone, back what you were doing. That's kind of what we're, we're talking about here. Even so last week I said we had, uh, that family, but even my daughter, she started to text now at seven with uh, one of her friends and her iPad was binging away with iMessage back and forth. And I kept looking for my phone. And then finally I was like, is that you getting all these messages? She said, yes. And so I actually switched her ringer to something totally. We, none of it, none of the rest of us use so that I don't like I'm not looking for my phone because I kept looking around like, where is it? I don't see it. I don't leave this on. Why is it binging all the time? It wasn't even <laughs> Fa- me. Family focus tip for you right there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Nate Lowry in the, the dojo chat is asking, and we're, in a, we're about to get into how to get focus time. Uh, and this, I think, maybe is a, an appropriate question. You know, what's the minimum amount of time that you recommend doing a, a focus block for? So when we're talking about how to get focus time, we're going to get into some of the specifics there. But what should we be shooting for? as like a, a minimum for the amount of focus time we're going to spend on on something. Yeah, I think a good place to start is even just with a single Pomodoro cycle of 25 minutes because you have a focus muscle to exercise. Uh, much like my wife was just saying this last night, we went away on our anniversary trip and she didn't take her iPad with her at all. So she didn't check Facebook and she's come back and she's like, I haven't even checked Facebook in another three weeks. And it's like she's dipped in once or twice because she needed to for some homeschool thing. But other than that, so she broke she broke that momentum, but it took a, you know, some action. So now I actually plan three hour focus blocks, but it takes a while to get up to that. Yeah, d- definitely. And I think the the Pomodoro method is a, a great support system. If you're just getting started with it too, even if you've been doing it for a while, the Pomodoro method is really effective for focusing on, on your work for shorter bursts of time. Uh, and we've got a whole episode on that, uh, with the founder of the, uh, the Essington glass, I believe it's episode 188. Uh, Pomodoro 2.0 with Rudy Marsh. If you want to learn more about the specifics of the the Pomodoro method, Nate's got a, a follow-up question here. Is there a maximum amount of time that you recommend capping focus blocks at? I know you mentioned you go for three hours at a time. So that's what I put on the schedule, but it can be three, maybe four. I think after four, I'm just burnt out. So I've mentioned already that I um, I watched my kids at the splash park for a bit, and that was after four hours of solid work. I went and my wife went into the and used the Wi-Fi at the pool and I watched the kids and just hung out and, you know, reviewed some of the notes for this podcast and mostly just played with the two-year-old because she doesn't like to go in the cold water. She just rolled around on me while we sat in the shade. And that was a good mental break um, then to come back and do this podcast. So that's generally how my days work. Yeah. And I think that this is going to be different for everybody. You're going to have to know how you're most effective. In fact, in the the next section here, in one of the videos specifically in the course, you talk about how to get focus time. One of the things you talk about is when is the best time for you to work? You talk about the idea of your biological prime time. Uh, and along with that, you know, if you find that your biological prime time is 10 a.m., like that's the best time to sit down and work, but you get hungry at 1130 and <laughs> your effectiveness drops off significantly after that, then uh, you have to kind of recognize those those patterns uh, and so I think the the length of your focus blocks, like that's going to vary from person to person, but it's one of those things that you're going to want to keep an eye on. Yeah. And I'm usually keying it around a task. So lots of Mondays I've done a book review or this morning I was editing my book and I just kind of worked focused until that was done. And if sometimes that takes three hours, sometimes that takes four and I just would do that. Yeah. 
So it depends on the task you have, really. I'd like to see at least a portion of it completed. So when I'm editing a book, like the first part of the book should be completed, and then I would move into the second part tomorrow. That's generally what I would do. Nice. And you mentioned in the the outline here on how to get focus time, uh, a couple important concepts here, passion and purpose. Do you want to explain why these are important when you're trying to get focus time? Mm-hmm. So, and everyone talks about following your passion, which is all great, but what's your purpose, right? It's, it's not, if you're familiar with peanuts and Linus wants to find the, the pumpkin, the great pumpkin and with the most earnest pumpkin patch or something like that, like you're not going to suddenly win because you're the most earnest and have this wonderful, amazing purpose statement, but or sorry, passion statement, but your purpose. So like, what are you meant to do? And so when I look at everything that I do, I want to help um, people run a better business without ruining their families, without ruining their relationships. And so that's my purpose behind everything, even when things feel tough sometimes that I keep coming back to that is my purpose. And am I achieving that with what I'm doing? Yes. And it helps just helps me stay on track uh, with what I'm doing. Yeah. Another way to say this would be finding your why. Mm-hmm. The the reason behind what you are going to do is going to provide the motivation to follow through and, and do the thing, which can be difficult when it's something that you have to apply deep work or focus to. I mean, it's going to take a, it's going to take usually more effort than something that is, uh, you know, shallow work, something that you can kind of do half asleep. You know, that's that's going to be fairly easy to do. You can do that even while you're distracted. But when you really have to focus on something, you're going to encounter some resistance. And so knowing your why, your, your, your passion, your purpose, all of those things kind of align. And then a lot of them are, are kind of different terms for the, the same, yeah, yeah. same concept, but, uh, that's going to propel you through to follow through on your, your scheduled focus time. Yeah. I think, yeah, they're all, many of them are different terms for looking at the same thing from a different angle. I like differentiating them just to, so we don't fall into that, just, you know, that earnestness, follow your passion and everything will happen because it won't, or it may not anyways. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, definitely. Uh, you've also got in here using tools that provide focus. So these are things that you can use in your workflow to get more focus time. You want to talk to us about some of the ways that you've done this? Yeah. So I think in uh, in the last Ojo module I did, we talked about my big pink headphones and I'm still like I wear headphones in my office every day um, because they are one of the cues for focus. And one of the other things I'm right now not on iOS, but I do 90% of my work, maybe a little more than that on iOS only because there's just less opportunity for distraction. So I've chose, I made the choice to use the tool that allows me to focus best. And it's been great, really. There's very few things outside of right now, I need to record audio at the same time as sending audio and uh, iOS doesn't do that. But even recording on my own, I can do that right on my iPad now. So I do. Right, yeah. I, I, I just got back from MacStock. Uh, I presented there last weekend as we are recording this and I met quite a few people who are iOS only. And uh, there's a lot of lot of benefit from that. Those force constraints that can definitely help you you focus on and specifically if you're going to be uh, writing or, or creating something. You know, the an iPad Pro is sometimes more effective than a a MacBook, and and that's one of those things that traditionally, anyways. I'll talk about my own situation. Maybe other people are different, but you kind of think like, well, a tablet, I can't get real work done on that. Like you mentioned, you're recording this on a. Uh, on, on your computer because it's hard to do that on iOS. But for a lot of focus work, you can do that on iOS. The tools are kind of not as important in terms of what the the actual work that you're doing, but they're more important in terms of the the focus barriers that they provide so that your brain stays on track. Mm-hmm. And I could do this on iOS if I wanted, but I'd have to tell you I can't record the audio on my end as well, in which case you'd be all responsible for audio. So 
yeah, I this, could do this it is otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> this is better audio wise. So, so that's why I'm doing that because we've even found, I think in a past one where I had a not, my, not an optimal mic because we couldn't get one working and the sound came out well, partially because I'm recording on my end as well. So it was the right tool for the right job. And I could see always having a Mac around for that reason. Sacrifices for you, dear listener. <laughs> now you have a, my computer. Yep. <laughs> you have an action item in the uh, in the the video course, which I wanted to talk about here because I think it's it's really cool. And uh, this is a, a great suggestion. I think I've heard Dave Caleb mention about mention this uh, as well. But with all with iOS specifically, you know, you've got all the different icons just sitting on your your screen. Um, and I suppose this this could apply to like a a Mac or a PC setup as as well, but I think you're talking about specifically portable devices when you're talking about this action item, correct? Yeah. Now, in my case, when I really started to go iOS only back around Christmas, I had a confluence of events that ended up with all of my devices wiped within about a four week span. With my phone, my iPad, and my computer just would not start one day, so I had to reinstall it from nothing, <laughs> which meant that I started essentially totally from scratch within about a four week window, which was great, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so what I, when I went back through that, like I say, I started from a clean slate and I sat down and said, well, okay, what's my iPad going to be for? Uh, cause formerly it had been for, you know, watching some YouTube videos and a bit of Netflix and doing whatever I wanted on. And I had writing apps on it, but it wasn't, wasn't really tailored towards that. So when I started installing stuff, I started only installing the things I really needed, um, like Scrivener and Ulysses and, uh, Firefox. I find it to be faster and, you know, a few other things. And then eventually an audio tool, um, and then a, some, you know, some more audio tools and then some video editing tools for some of the YouTube videos I do. So they could be only on that, which meant that even in some ways, like I don't have some of these tools installed. Um, I don't have an audio editor really installed on my Mac anymore because I just do it on my iPad wherever I'm at. Yeah. Speaking to the, the iOS stuff, uh, I guess, but more generally, um, uh, there's a question in Dojo, you know, what are the best methods for training your brain to slip into focus easier besides environment design, which we're going to get to in a little bit But one of the things that I've used in the past, uh, and I'm interested to know if you have any experience with something like Focus at Will or Brain FM, where you have like the the audio track, which a lot of times they, they don't have any words, and it's designed to to kind of help you to get into a uh, a focus mode. Uh, I'm wondering, do you use that on a on your iOS device? I don't. Um, I do have a say the same playlist that I've been using with a few additions here and there for years, though. So most of it falls into the background for me. Um, usually if there's a new song, I'll, I'll pick it up again, kind of tweaks my brain. But and I can't listen to podcasts like some people I know do. I've tried that once and I was just did nothing. So or have like a YouTube video playing on the side that's, you know, really informational. So I listen to the same uh, playlist all the time and I use it for running, too. And it's got most of it's got a good beat and yeah, that's it. That's what I do. Yeah, I I do pretty much the the same thing. I use Brain FM kind of off and on. Uh, they added a whole bunch more tracks recently, more focus tracks, which uh, give you a little bit more variety. Um, is there anything else that you do to uh, allow your brain to slip into focus easier? Um, any other supports that you use in addition to the the iOS based tools? So when I'm on my Mac, uh, and then so for my Fridays are often a lot of calls, and I was on my Mac doing some book editing before between calls, and I used an app called Hazeover uh, in conjunction with uh, full screen view and Scrivener, and that meant it blacked out all my other screens. And contrary to what you and Brooks were talking about a while ago, I actually got rid of screens. So I have less screens. It doesn't feel like there's empty space around that needs to be filled up or 
I just can't have other things floating around within my within my view, like Slack off on my other screen. So I have been dropping the the multi-screen setup. I suppose if you're if you like the way that iOS presents the you know the single single pane, you're focusing on one thing at a, at a time, then uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think that a lot. I would be interested to see a bigger study that isn't give a person a task and the apps to do the task and see if it's faster on two screens because nobody works in a laboratory. Like in a real office, do two screens actually help? Or does it just present more distractions because more screen real estate is available to put other things in? Right, right. And I have not read a study that makes that differentiation. It's possible there's one. I just haven't seen it. So I'd love to see it if any of the listeners have one. (laughs) All right, we'll throw it out to the audience. Mm -hmm. Nate also asked you, either you or I use breath meditation to train for focus. I do meditation. I use calm.com at the, at the moment. And I actually use the, uh, the daily calm on my, my iPhone. Uh, do you use any sort of meditation to train for focus? Uh, I did for a while, but then I stopped, um, for a long time, for a number of years, we had a dog who passed away a while ago, but I would go out and walk her first thing in the morning at four thirty in the morning and take a walk and just do it quietly with just her and the silence of the city, which is similar. Um, and just, you know, trying to no music, no nothing. I'd leave my phone at home as I walked around the block and just try to focus on where we were at for the day and just pay attention to what was going on around me. Cause there's always something new. I don't currently meditate, uh, in with any app or any, in any traditional sense. I do think that mindfulness meditation though, would kind of build up your, your brain muscles so that it's easier to, to focus on something. Um, Absolutely. I'm actually reading at, at the moment the the power of habit by Charles Duhigg, and uh, they they talk a lot about developing your willpower muscle. And uh, my thoughts on willpower have kind of evolved over the years. I think willpower maybe is it's a good lag measure. You can base you know your whether you followed through on something or not. You know you can look back at it and say, well, I lacked willpower or <laughs> I had enough willpower. But in the moment. You know, if you if you don't have the willpower, like what what can you do? And uh, we did a Brooks and I, I think, uh, did a podcast episode on uh, motivation versus versus willpower. I think motivation is maybe more effective in the in the moment. Um, but yeah, a lot of this is kind of the the thought behind focus time is developing your brain muscle to the point where you can do it easily. Uh, it's you know, uh, I forget which book that was. Maybe it was Great at Work where they talk about it's easier to sell. Um, sell aspirin than vitamins, you know, <laughs> but the vitamins are the better long-term approach. Developing your brain muscles so that it's easier to focus is going to be better than any sort of hack that you would use in the the short term. Although yeah. we're talking about kind of a combination between these different things. One of the keys in a switch by Chip and Dan Heath is they call it shaping the path, which is like me choosing iOS or putting my phone downstairs in a drawer and just leaving it down there, right? I've removed distractions that are even possible. So then I'm forced at times to sit with my brain, especially before and focus instead of having easily having easy interruptions for me to cycle through, like check my email and look at Slack and check Twitter. Yeah, exactly. You know, this kind of gets into the, the building a workspace for focus that you had talked about the environment design. Uh, you've got a couple different things in here. Uh, I want to talk us through the, uh, the multiple desk scenario. I think this is interesting. Yeah. So I saw that with, um, Austin Cleon and then, uh, CPG gray as well, which is in the video course. And they, um, they both have multiple offices or multiple desks. At least CPG gray actually had multiple offices for audio recording and then multiple desks in a different office. If I'm remembering correctly, one with his screen set up differently for writing and one for, uh, for video editing. Um, Austin Cleon had an analog and a digital desk. 
Uh, and I really like that idea. It sounds interesting. I don't have the space for it right now, but it would be great uh, to have those two entirely separate areas for different modes of working. I use um, no a coffee shop for that. And sometimes our local library, because the local library Wi-Fi in Canada is terrible. And then there's just a whole bunch of things I can't do because it would take way too long. Yeah, I think this is a great idea. And you don't have to have a ton of space in two separate desks in your office in order to implement this. Like you said, you can have specific spaces associated with a particular type of of work. And so, yeah, you're not going to do your audio recording from the the coffee shop, but maybe you're real effective going through your your weekly review there or planning out your day or, or whatever. So uh, don't be afraid to to look outside your your designated quote unquote workspace, and then also look for ways that you can make your your workspace better. Uh, Brooks and I recorded an episode on how to uh, set up your your home office for maximum productivity. You know, we mentioned the multiple monitors, which you, you said you you, know, you kind of disagree with, which is which is fine. But there's a bunch of different stuff in there that you can try, and uh, you can you can use to to make the the space that you do have uh, as conducive to focused work as as possible but you've also got a couple of tips here for people who maybe don't have complete control over their space yeah so like one thing i used at a job uh was those big pink headphones which i talked about in a previous uh podcast as well to just say hey like don't bug me (laughs) i'm and without even playing anything sometimes just big over-the-ear headphones said don't don't bother me and they had terrible audio i have no idea what they were but they were cheap and they were obvious so that's what worked uh, and I've heard of other places doing like a big sign on your door or um, like a wooden block with red and green. And when it's red up, don't bug me when it's green up, you know, come on by some. So there's lots of different visible reminders that you can use. Um, and then there's, there's even an audio person. I know I think that has like a light outside the door that says, hey, I'm recording. Leave me alone. Right. Don't come down. Don't bug me because I'm recording right now. Yep. So just a single visible reminder that everybody knows. Um, you know, everyone who would interact with it knows is not like we don't don't bug me right now i'm focused so uh and then i think uh alternatively though like so in that job where i had those big pink headphones when i had them off i always tried to be very attentive during those times i just created my own my own hours that were focused hours without necessarily getting permission um because no one else was really into it at that point there uh and then was very attentive in the other time so that it was obvious um kind of when when it was easiest to get a hold of me without extra effort on everyone else's part yeah that's the the hard part for people who work in a office environment or especially an open office environment is you're not working in a a silo you don't just have to beat yourself you have to beat all the distractions that other people are going to throw at you i forget i forget which study i had heard about this from but uh, one of the things that the researchers had done because they they recognized that this was a potential problem so they created a system which solved this they're working at the same desk and they're focused on their work yeah exactly when one of them had a question they would move a pencil to the middle of the table. The other one would kind of see it, you know, out of their peripheral vision. They'd finish what they were doing and then they would look up and then they would, you know, resolve the the issue and they could go back to, to focusing. But there's there's lots of other things that you can do in, in terms of dealing with the expectations of others. But finding that common ground, the agreement, you know, that's uh, that's going to be important if you want this to be sustainable in the long term. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have any other tips for dealing with the expectations of others when it comes to creating focus time? So being very communicative, when we were about to have our first child, my wife was off about a week before um, our child came and she came into my office. I don't even know how many times enough that I was like really angry because she just wouldn't like every 20 minutes she was in there to ask me something. And I ended up handing her money and told her to go away. I didn't care where it was, but she needed to not to be here. Go with anyone she wanted. 
And um, since then, you know, we've come like she knows now, like when she when she should come in or when she shouldn't. Right. And she does a better job at allowing me to focus so that I can actually be around for the kids later. And I had a similar you know, discussion with my father-in-law once when he he continued to come in and be like, look, the baby, you know, smiled. And I was like, I've seen her smile tons of times and she's cute, but I need to work so I can focus later. Uh, <laughs> and he was he was actually mad at me that I basically told him to go away, go away. But we had a good discussion later where and he un- started to understand, yes, that I need to focus now so that later on I can just, you know, do I can hang out with her without worrying about it. So then it was just, you know, when she was really doing a first step or something new or when she needed to change a diaper because he wasn't going to do that. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Matt Ryan in the the dojo chat says it sounds like it requires a lot of discipline on all sides, and I think that's exactly what you're you're talking about. Well, and even age appropriate discipline, right? So I tell my four year old she'll come in and I'll always be like, oh, you know, give her a hug and say, yeah, that sounds really cool, and then send her back out, right? And that does occasionally mean I lock my door from the inside and she screams because she's like doesn't quite get it, or the baby comes and bangs on the door. But just doing age appropriate conditioning for it right morning we do the morning hug and then okay now head on downstairs yep yep no that that makes sense uh and uh there's a whole separate list of rules when it comes to discipline on all sides and, and expectations for people who work specifically in a corporate environment i know you've got a whole video on this idea of how do you carve out focus time in a corporate environment where maybe you don't have time to get everybody on the same page regarding this and you just want a little bit of relief to do what you're being paid to do and not answer email or deal with all these other distractions and everybody else's emergencies. So if you put yourself in the shoes of one of our listeners, you know, who's at a, at a corporate job and they're constantly dealing with these, these pop-ins with uh, fellow employees and maybe even their boss or their supervisor, what would you tell them to do in in order to get more focused time at their job. So something that I have done is ask for like, sit down with my boss and say, these, what are the most valuable tasks I do? And then starting to track my time on those things. And even at the beginning, like asking them how much time you should be spending on that percentage wise. And it mostly doesn't matter what percentage they say. Like if they say 50 and you really wanted 70, just go with 50 because you want to increase it. And it's likely you're not even spending 50% on your three value tasks just because there's so many interruptions. Just letting them know what they are. Another good uh, idea is, especially with the boss, if they come up and say, hey, I need you to do this and just to show them your task list for the day. Like these are the important things that kind of everyone decided was on your list and saying, okay, what don't I need to do today? Because it's enforcing a decision on them. And I have found when I've done that, they mostly said, oh, don't worry about it. And contrary to what most of the office said that I never did any of those extra things, I was always the one who was done all my main tasks for like a sprint. And I was the one who was like, look, Curtis got it all done. How come you people can't? So, <laughs> Which endeared me to the whole office. I am now. So. <laughs> right. Well, you don't have to be the office jerk in order to get no, started. No, no. <laughs> that was my, one of my first software development jobs. I was not as seasoned as I am now, we'll say. Right, so. right. But I mean, the thing is establishing with your boss that... Like you want to provide value and you're trying to understand how to provide value and what they see as your most valuable tasks and how much time should you be spending on those things and then making them aware of how what other things are coming in as well. And sometimes it's them, right? Saying, you know, everyone else leaves me alone, but you come in like 15 times a day and here's the cost of that, right? Like here's why it's taking longer. You know, we had a time estimate of 10 hours and this actually took me 15. And well, why? Well, I got interrupted, you know, at this point, this point, and this point in the middle of it. And I had to stop. We took an hour to do this and then I had to get back geared up to get going. I think a lot of managers just don't realize Um, they really don't think about it deeply enough to know how much time is cost or what the cost really is of those interruptions. Um, There's even a fairly recent one uh, research 
which I found through Cal Newport's site around um, open offices and how they actually increase distraction and not they don't do collaboration. It's not collaboration. It's the little office like Slack and other pings that happen way more often than people retreat into themselves and only go to digital instead of actually seeing each other face to face. So mm, interesting. And they just don't gauge that cost. So it was a fairly recent article um, on his on his site and the paper was open and free as well. So specifically talking about the the cost of the the work that you're doing one of the mindset shifts that you want to facilitate however you can do that in the uh, the course you you do a great job of talking about this you know you want to make the switch from an hours worked uh, definition of of value to you know I've I've contributed this value so sprints are great for this because you've got sprint points associated with the with the task and if you can show that this 10 hour project I did in two hours because I was able to focus. Like that's some ammunition you can, you can use to get buy-in from the the person above you. Yeah. yeah. And there's a great book called rest by Alex Pong. And they talk all about this, about how it's measuring hours is just the easiest way. And so that's what we default to because it's easy. Just like we often default to like pulling our phone out and checking whatever, whatever your social media distraction happens to be. But hours just aren't that reliable really because how much time you sit there in the chair is not actually a good measure of what you did that day. So, but it can be a hard road to change some managers' mindsets on that. And I, there's one job that I left because there was just no, it wasn't going to happen. Right, right. But in that situation, you also don't want to go rogue. I, I think this was was your term, and I, I really, <laughs> I really like this. Where, yeah, like, which I may have just, done a little bit at the beginning. So <laughs> I was thinking about that with your pink headphones. <laughs> I did. Don't be like former Curtis. <laughs> But uh, this is, I mean, you, you don't want to alienate everybody in the process of creating the focus time, because like you said, that is not going to be a sustainable situation. You're not going to last long or everybody's going to get sick of you. Yeah. So, I mean, now I think I would start dropping hints. Maybe that's not the right word, but starting to let people know about my thoughts around focus and just seeing like, you know, talking with another program and saying, oh, or another person like, man, like those interruptions, man, that costs a lot. And then, you know, they say frustration as well and just leave it at that. And just start letting those discussions percolate through, um, which can work quite well. I'm a friend of mine just changed the overarching sec- not security safety policy of a large um, utility in BC, starting with that converse type of conversation like eight months ago. Like, this is silly. Why do we say it like this? And he was like brand new on the job and kept having those conversations. And then the boss was like, this is silly. Why do we have it like this? Let's change it. So just can take time. Right. And the important piece here, the big takeaway, I think, is to have the conversation, you know, talk to your boss or your manager about how to make more time for the activities that you both agree are going to bring value to the the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. And if, you, and if you frame it that way, I mean, a good boss or manager is, is not going to say, no, don't do the thing that's most valuable to the, <laughs> the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nate's got a question here. Can you do focus time paired with another person? He says, my gut feeling is yes, because I've done paired programming and it's been highly productive. I think maybe you have a little bit different answer because the whole next section here is on when is focus time bad? And one of the things under here is <laughs> collaborating. So in collaborating, though, I think is different than this. So this is two domain experts working together to be, you know, produce something in their field. Right. So is it Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman? Would they do behavioral economics or something like that? They mm-hmm. won a, one of them won the Nobel Peace Prize, won, not Nobel Prize, not the Nobel Peace Prize. And the, uh, the other one would have won, but they had died already. And they did collaboration. They worked together. They sat in the same office. I think it was actually them that may have had the pencil. But like they collaborated together as domain es- experts around a field. And they came up, they brought their, you know, slightly overlapping, but also different 
ideas together to produce something, you know, a whole new field uh, of economics. So, which, um, you know, the people have continued to, to build on. So I think that you can, uh, I think that just saying that paired programming is instantaneously means it's better to do focus with that. It's not true. You need to have the processes uh, and you'd have a team that works well together. Right. Right. So what's the, the difference then between, I don't want to use paired programming as a specific example because not everybody's a programmer, myself included, but how do you, how do you differentiate then between effective collaboration, which I think when a lot of people think of collaboration, they think of brainstorming, which isn't the only way that you can collaborate, obviously, but what's, what's the difference then between collaboration and um, I guess pairing might be the, the uh, scrum term for this. Mm. So, so in the collaboration and the research uh, that I went through and prep for this, they said that domain experts collaborating with just like a bunch of different people to get some more ideas was negatively correlated with good outcomes because they were domain experts. They should just yep. do a gut, gut check only. Like, hey, am I, am I, does anything on this sound really dumb? No. Okay, good. And they keep going because they're a domain expert, right? So I spent have spent 10 years doing a bunch of WordPress coding and it's very rare that I check in. I still look up documentation all the time, but I don't check in with my colleagues very often. I keep going and if I'm stuck, I'm usually like, hey, I don't know. Does anyone have an idea for this? And usually someone just pastes back some code and I look at it and go, oh, that's what it is. Um, I don't, you know, or does, you know, does my idea sound bad as I'm trying to implement this and someone will possibly have something and sometimes there's silence because everyone thought, no, that's fine. That is how they viewed collaboration. Uh, now collaboration was good in idea generation though, right? Uh, and yep. specifically, we don't want to go back to paired programming, but even in uh, Scrum uh, and in, I think it's in personal Kanban, they talk about pairs being really good for helping keep people on, um, but on task, uh, like with the coding standards of the organization, because there's someone checking your back, basically, right? Saying, hey, hey, that's not where we put our commas. You don't do that, right? Or that's not how we do tabs. And so there are good things about it. And then, but thinking that's just some, you know, because you're pairing, paired programming, you're more productive is not true, which too many people have fallen into. So I'd say, you can hear this in writing, right? Uh, people will be collaborating uh, and doing editing at the bottom of a document and writing at the top of the document at the same time. And again, that can be good because what you're producing with two domain experts is really good. Um, something you wouldn't produce on your own, right? And they're just, they were cycling through the document. I think it was with iMore doing some big review of something and they just kept cycling through the document. You know, when you fit it got to the bottom, you went back up to the top and kept going and did more editing and the other person was editing you and adding stuff to it. And that <laughs> is, was a good way to do it, right? Right, right. I know you're a, a big fan of, of Great at Work by Morton mm-hmm. Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in there, they have a whole section on effective collaboration versus over-collaboration versus under-collaboration. So is the scenario that you're describing, is that just effective collaboration and it's just limited? Because I know that's one of the things that Morton Hansen talks about is you don't want to collaborate with a whole bunch of people because you're going to get a bunch of people who aren't really contributing. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and making sure that they're geared in, right? So you could even say collaboration is when you you interviewed a bunch of people for uh, one of your recent email courses, right? You collaborated yep. with all, a whole bunch of users in the dojo and of uh, Asian efficiency for the course material. That was really good. People who had identified themselves as invested in Asian efficiency and they wanted this course and they were having struggle with it. If you went and collaborated with a bunch of people who didn't care about the product really, then that's not effective collaboration, right? While right. they didn't, they didn't produce the end result necessarily. They highly influenced it in its beginning phases, so that you were on your target market. I'd say that is even effective collaboration. Right, right. So one of the tips that you had outlined here, and really kind of speaking to this whole idea of of collaboration, 
is the the general idea that more collaboration does not necessarily equal better collaboration. Uh, do you want to explain this a little bit? Yeah. So even using the scenario of you researching the email course, like, you know, whatever, if you had 15 people, is 25 going to be better? Probably not, right? There's just at a certain point, there's diminishing returns. So find that point. I tell people uh, in my upcoming book, like, you know, do your research on the topic for about a week. If you're spending more than a week, you're just, you know, substituting research for actual productive work. So don't, don't do that. Right. Yep. Um, and, and even our certain research phase, I'm like, do enough, give this an afternoon. If at the end of the afternoon, you really don't have an answer, it's probably a bad idea. Try something else. Is there a certain number of people that you would recommend that you be looking to collaborate with? Uh, and three to five can be a good kind of a good rule of thumb, right? To make sure you're getting enough. I think it would depend as well um, on exactly what what you're doing, right? And you have right. more than three to five for the email course. But, you know, three to five domain experts to say, hey, like, is this on task? Is this smart for a specific programming problem? It's probably good. Um, you know, maybe 10 people to, you know, here's here's what I'm thinking about this book or say in a mastermind, that might be okay. Um, but you can go bigger or smaller depending on the exact field. But again, three to five is probably at least a good starting point to make sure that you have enough three to five different like diverse people uh, that are domain experts, not three to five of the exact same person. <laughs> right, right. Which gets to one of the main or the, or the best uh, use cases of of collaboration is for for brainstorming if you got multiple perspectives multiple backgrounds multiple people with different experiences then you get a wider breadth of of ideas coming at you and better potential solutions so uh, is there any other time when focus time is is bad i mean focus time we probably think like the more focus time we can get the the better <laughs> but is there ever a point you mentioned diminishing returns where like yeah, yeah. this is where you know th- that's that's enough let's not focus for a while yeah so there's one study cited in the video and the course as well that says about 39 hours was the ideal um another good I think there's something called the mythical man month and, and the shortest version of these things is like adding more people to a task just makes it take longer right so i think i think the uh, in the mythical man month, they're talking about Microsoft and like shipping the next version of a software and like they added more people. It just, it just took longer. Like for every person you added, it was like 5% longer, 5% longer. So it is just, there's a certain amount of time that you can focus in a day. I actually usually really aim for say four to six, me six real good fo- hours of focus in a day. And that's it. If I have done that and I'm like totally spent at even like say four, four and a half. I'm just like, eh, well, maybe I'll do some email. I'll read something a little bit or I'll just be done for the day. And I don't worry about it. Because doing that consistently over and over, getting those four to six good hours of focus time means you're far outperforming the average person. Right. So when you do the the four to six hours of, of focus time, I know we talked about some of the time blocking and we mentioned Pomodoros and stuff earlier. How many different time slices are you breaking up that four to six hours into? Generally two. Like I'll do, so this morning I watched some stuff around helping market my book and then edited the book. That was one time slice working on the book. This afternoon was, well, this podcast. And then I'll do a little bit of say the manager style work answering email because I was about an hour till we, uh, till I go away for the day on a date with my wife. So that's all I can really do in that hour. And then even before this, I just re- I reviewed the notes for this podcast. So there's re- essentially two two main slices that I would do. Uh, and this Monday was broken up with a phone call in the middle. Cool. Well, that's that's a lot of great information. Like we mentioned at the beginning, you've been working on a, a course for this where as when this gets published, uh, it will be publicly available to Dojo members. So if you wanted to take a look at this, you're not a Dojo member, you can go to the Productivity Show 
patreon.com slash dojo sign up for a dollar for your first month get access to not only curtis's focus time course but also the analog productivity course the time blocking course and all the other courses that are available there uh, where else can people go to connect with you curtis uh, you can find uh, my website at curtismichael.ca and then i'm on twitter as curtis McHale. and those are the two main spots i'm on other things but don't respond as much so because i waste too much time on them so i stopped there you go. You created focus time by cutting out all the other social <laughs> media try. time wasters. <laughs> I try really hard anyways, as we all do. All right. And uh, you'd mentioned earlier, we definitely want to mention that you've got a book coming out, The the Art of Focus. So we'll we'll put whatever links we can, but I'm assuming people can also find out about that at, at your website when it's published, correct? Yeah, yeah, they can. I, the launch date uh, should be August uh, 28th, uh, unless I miss it by a little bit, but it should be at, right at the end of August uh, is when it should be out. Unless you have trouble creating focus time to finish it? Unless I have trouble creating focus time to finish it. And I hope not because it's all written and all done. I need a cover and to package it mostly. So <laughs> <laughs> I hope not, but you know, three kids. So that right. sometimes. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Curtis, for being on the show today. You're welcome. We know how frustrating it can be when you feel like you just can't find time to focus on your important projects. Maybe you know exactly what you need to do to go to the next level in your job, start your side business, or achieve your dream, but you just can't find the time to consistently take action on it. We know what it's like to have too much to do and not enough time to do it in. But you don't have to stay there. We've helped tens of thousands of people make time for what's important to them and take action on their goals. So if you're tired of never having enough time, you feel stuck, or you need a little help defeating the obstacles that stand between you and your ideal future, Take just a couple of minutes and complete our online productivity quiz. In just a couple of minutes of your time, you can get a personalized productivity plan to help you get unstuck and on your way to achieving success without the stress. To take the quiz, just go to theproductivityshow.com slash quiz. Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com slash quiz. It will only take a couple minutes of your time and you'll get results which will show you the biggest areas for improvement as well as deliver several curated resources to help you overcome the resistance that is keeping you from achieving your full potential. You can also find links to everything we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 209. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us an iTunes review or a star in Overcast. The show is on Twitter as at ProductivityFM, and if you want to get your questions answered to get mentioned on the show, you can send us a tweet with the hashtag Ask TPS. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Productive Monday.